0: All right. Thank you uh, so much, everyone, for joining us for this session. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm Ben Budish. I'm Barclays Analyst covering brokers, asset managers, and exchanges. And delighted to have us uh, with us for this session, Martin Kelly. Uh, Martin joined Apollo and er, currently serves as CFO. Uh, he joined Apollo back in 2012 and has served as CFO of Apollo during his tenure, as well as co-chief uh, operating officer from 2019 to 2021. Um, prior to joining Apollo, he was with Barclays Capital, Lehman, and, and PwC. Uh, Martin, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, Maybe we'll start with just a macro question. You know, can you talk a bit about how the firm is positioned for a higher inflation environment, rising rates? What sort of challenges and opportunities are you seeing in terms of, you know, deployment, fundraising, realizations?
1: Yeah, I'll start by saying it's my 10-year anniversary at at Apollo today. Oh, wonderful! Uh, I'd rather be nowhere else. (laughs) I looked a bit younger back then. Uh, My my photo is the same. Um, So the the macro question. It's interesting. We we're often asked. Um, the impact of higher rates on the business and the the sort of connotation or expectation is it's a negative and it really isn't Um, it's a somewhat involved answer to that but um, higher rates and a more constrained credit environment is helpful for our business and uh, in, in all respects and so in our PE business we tend to uh we do put less leverage on our companies. we buy companies at about six times cash flow we put about three times leverage on companies um, the industry average remains about ten to twelve times on purchase price and about six times on debt. so we need less leverage uh it hasn't been a constraint at all uh either the rate back or the or the credit market that we're in uh today uh in our credit business we uh we for a long time three four five years we 've been pretty defensively uh, postured uh in anticipation of, of the end of um, of a of a bull market and it's um ninety seven percent of our book is um, is first ninety nine percent is secured uh we avoid certain industries we avoid certain countries and so um You know, if there's a prolonged and deep recession, of course we'd take some losses. But we we actually think we're pretty defensively positioned uh, going into this environment and uh, and deployment. If if anything is is um, is benefiting from that, Um, in our fundraising, we were having a very successful year in fundraising. We we came into the year um, indicating 80 billion dollars of inflows. Uh, We've printed 67 billion through the first half. Uh, and all parts of the business are doing are doing well, and then deployment keeps on increasing across the, the entire platform. So, you know, in terms of activity levels and the portfolio that we own, um, rates, inflation, and a more constrained environment have been um, actually net positive. And then, in terms of earning streams, um, there has been a concern. Um, Around surrender risk for athene and whether you know a a a backup in rates would cause liabilities to prepay and for the business to shrink, that's not happened uh We've been very clear about the surrender risk profile that athene has uh a and, and athene's asset side athene's balance sheet is is asset side sensitive, so higher rates mean assets reprice more quickly, which means higher earnings. And so we've seen a, a meaningful benefit this year from uh from repricing on on athene's assets and then on the on the f r e side on the asset manager, we have very little capital that's exposed to market value risk and even in the second quarter with the turbulence we saw in the in the second quarter both in the uh in the equity markets and the treasury markets and the credit markets more broadly. Uh, We had a 1% headwind on on management fees uh, in that that environment, annualized. So so net-net, it's it's positive. The only only constraining factor in a market like this is it's harder to sell companies. And so the lowest value earnings component uh, in our construct, principal investing income or carry, um, has been delayed and we think it's timing, not quantum. but you know overall, it allows us to write more business at athene uh, athene's uh, earnings stream is higher we've deployed more capital all around the system we've raised more capital It's our best fundraising year to date and so we're just not seeing we're just not seeing you know a, a negative consequence uh of um, of higher rates, wider spreads tougher tougher climate
0: great um so me on the on the fundraising side you know what Kind of, what is the you know, current fundraising backdrop? You know, it sounds like things are generally progressing pretty nicely, but we hear things, you know, congestion from multiple flagship funds, you know, a lot of market volatility, the denominator effect. You know, can you maybe talk from strategy to strategy across equity, yield, and hybrid? You know, what, what impact that may be having? Are there any kind of headwinds, or, or where might that be concentrated?
1: Yeah, so I'll just I'll frame I'll frame the numbers. Um, when we came into the year, we said 80 billion dollars of inflows for the year. And that was really three things. It was Fund ten, our latest P E flagship. It was other asset manager raises and it was inflows into Athene organically. Um so we've we've done sixty seven billion dollars for the half as I suggested. Um, we've seen Athene's business is um is writing a higher rate environment to their benefit. They're they're writing a business in their annuity channel, uh, in their PRT pension risk transfer channel. And in the re- reinsurance channel is all very robust. Um, we've seen really strong fundraising across the whole platform, across equity, hybrid, uh, and yield. Uh, the only um, the only uh, friction we've seen is uh, it's it's taken us longer to get fund ten raised. And so I think we will expect that fund ten will spill into 2023. But we expect it to be 25 billion dollars. We're very confident in that. And it's just a bit of a backup in the US public uh, pension fund system and, and 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 I think some of that may be just staging and getting allocations into into 2023 but financially it doesn't make any difference because we'll earn catch-up fees next year when we do successive closes so you know if fundraising's strong it's I, I think our strongest year ever uh, with that that small sort of timing headwind but nothing nothing besides that and, and the other thing I'd say is as we've brought new ideas and new products to market they've been well-received and so we've been able to set up a capital markets partnership with Pabudela. Uh, we are uh, seeding a, a new business in secondaries, S3, uh, which is a GP and an LP uh, business uh, with Ardia. Uh, we've raised a, um, uh, an alternatives portfolio construct with capital from Asian investors, which we're calling AAA, A. So we're seeing success in bringing innovative new products to market that others are not, uh, and seeing sophisticated institutional investors uh, want that product and sign up for for, um, for capital in size.
0: Great, that was very comprehensive. Um, maybe sticking kind of with the financial profile, you know, I think back at the 2021 Investor Day, you talked about you know then being an investor investment period which was going to drive FRE kind of growth acceleration to 2022 and I think through the 2026 period. That at the time was part of the forecast. Um, and on the last earnings call, I think you also said that you expect a, a near-term accel- acceleration in fee-related revenue. Can you maybe kind of give, give us an update here? What are, like, the primary drivers? Um, you know, wh- where are you kind of in this journey of FRE growth?
1: Yeah, yeah we've, we've been through a period of investment and catch-up in investment in the business, and we've been pretty, uh, pretty transparent about this. Um, we've, we've onboarded a lot of great talent, and at the same time, we've completely redone our physical footprint around the world. So we have seen increases in comp and non-comp. And so um, as the year progresses, we're seeing a steady uptick in year-over-year growth rates in FRE. We went from 3% in Q1, 7% in Q2, I'd expect something similar to that gradual step up in Q3 with a a ramp up in Q4. Um, When we did our Investor Day last October, we were very clear about the FRE expectation for the year. Which is $2.35 a share. Uh, we're confident we're going to hit that. Um, it's it's backloaded as as we as we thought it would be. Um, and then looking ahead into 2023, um, we're going through a budgeting cycle now, which which many firms are. Um, we you know we we won't have another year of neg- negative operating leverage. So we expect fee growth to exceed 20%. Uh, we expect expect FRE dollar growth to exceed that. Um, and we've we're being very careful and selective about managing investments in the platform to finish off what we've uh, what we've largely done around the revenue growth uh, as, it, as it appears so I'd expect margin improvement heading into next year uh, significantly higher uh, FRE dollar growth um, and sort of a resumption of, of that upward march in in, in margin expansion uh, over time and consistent with the long-term growth rates we uh, we laid out for FRE. Great.
0: Um, Maybe let's shift gears a little bit and dig into some of your, you know, key growth initiatives retail, origination, and capital solutions. So maybe starting with retail, you know, I've heard Mark say that he thinks one day we could see, you know, retail client portfolios allocating as much as 50% to alternatives. Um, You know, with that in mind, can you kind of remind us currently, you know, how much of your flows are coming from the retail channel? You know, do you feel like you have, you know, to achieve this kind of target or this goal, do you have the product set to get there? Um, You know, and if not, what would kind of be incremental?
1: yeah it's a massive market. It's bigger than the institutional market and so um and allocations are increasing and we expect that they will for uh, for many years to come. so it's really about marrying up uh product capability with distribution capability with technology and with people and we're doing all four uh, in a way that stages the um the build of the business and the costs that 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 are needed to do that so i'll I'll hit each in turn because i think I think it's sort of necessary to understand the ecosystem here on the product side um, i would i would break it into three sort of cohorts of products one is products that should be attractive to retail investors because they represent the best of Apollo based on historical track record so think Fund 10 think our hybrid uh, value fund think our European principal finance fund funds that have a demonstrated clear long-term successful track record that retail investors haven't been able to access in scale uh, in the past. So that's one sort of cohort of products. Secondly, is giving the market what they expect to see in a retail format. So a um, VDC format, a REIT format, interval funds, um, and the like which, that, that leverage the origination capabilities of Apollo um, and can then sit by side by side products that might look Similar, but offer a, 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 an alternative. And then, third is I think the most interesting, and that is where we can develop new products that the market hasn't seen before. And so, AAA is an example of that. Um, our S3 business, um, GPLP is an example of that. Uh, annuity wrapped products, Apollo Funds in an annuity, annuity wrapper for retirement services accounts, 401k accounts is an example of that. And so it's really all three of the above. Um, and then we have to line that up with how do we get that to market. So um, we have uh, and are establishing uh, deeper relationships with wirehouses. Uh We bought Griffin Capital, which has been a really successful uh, acquisition for us and gives us access to IBDs. Uh, the next focus point for us is family offices, which is, we think, a massive pool of capital that's um, underpenetrated. And then after that will be the RIA network. Um, and then we are building the team. We have 150 people today, uh, up massively from what it was just a, a year or two back. Uh, and we're investing in technology. We've invested in uh, in Case as a technology platform. We've invested in ICAP. Uh, we're doing work with Motive uh, to develop technologies to distribute products. So it's really a you know an interesting but complicated ecosystem. But, but you need to line up all all of that and do it in a way which is focused on revenue growth, but but cost-efficient.
0: Great. Maybe let's dig into a few of those products. So AAA, we'll start We'll start there. You guys talked about this a bit on the last earnings call. Can you kind of remind us, you know, what exactly should this product look like? I think you mentioned it's it's a retail product, but it's designed for institutions as well. So what does that mean in terms of, you know, liquidity, the minimum investment size, you know, how you'll go to market? Is there, you know, on the retail side, does it really mean no change and institutions invest alongside retail? How do we, you know, kind of size this
1: up? So, yeah, all good questions. I'm, I'm a little restricted in what I can say just from a, a, a securities law perspective. But um, what I, AAA is is the existing is, or seeded by the existing alternatives portfolio of Athene, which over the last decade is, has produced a 12% return. It's a $10 billion portfolio, and what we've done is create a new structure that day one owns that Uh, And then we've brought in outside capital from a couple of Asian investors, including Sumi, in the amount of $5 billion. So we have a $15 billion uh, pool uh, to start with. And then from here, we'll go and raise uh, further institutional capital and retail capital. And so what this does is provide an equity-like portfolio of alternative assets that uh, look a little fixed income in nature in the sense that they're uh, they have a very attractive sharp ratio, not volatile um, and we think should be really appealing to uh to retail investors and The real benefit of this is this is just an example of how the merger between the between Apollo uh, the asset manager and athene has has created a massive benefit in that this portfolio of capital or assets to to, to fund uh acquisitions is is in is focused on one of two things principally: one is buying more platforms. Uh, sort of consumer and commercial origination platforms which create products which can then be used to put in rated senior form back onto a Thines balance sheet or allocated to third party accounts or syndicated to the market so it 's a management fee or a transaction fee or or both business um, or it can be used to fund and see new investment strategies by the asset manager and so I think uh, in a in a in a world where equities are volatile, this provides pretty stable equity like returns um, with liquidity rights uh, in a retail friendly format um, and so we think it, we think it 'll be very attractive. Great.
0: Uh, so that was AAA. Let's talk about Triple S for a second, maybe, the sponsor and secondary solutions. So
1: okay. it seems like
0: this offering should be pretty wide-ranging, similarly across asset classes and investor types. Can you maybe you know, talk about this platform a little bit? And, and maybe you know, if you could maybe weave in some of your high-level thoughts on just the kind of opportunities in general that you're seeing you know, in secondaries and overall fund finance.
1: Yeah, so S3, which is the name for the for the platform, it's a GPLP and fund financing business, and I'll 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 break it down. I think we underappreciated the uh, the magnitude of the, the the market and the potential for us here, and we've actually done um, close to 15 billion dollars of fund financing transactions in the last couple of years. Uh, SoftBank was the largest, but there've been a, a handful of others. And so, what this business is for us is a business that focuses on equity uh, GPLP solutions, credit. GPLP solutions and fund financing solutions, and the the equity side today is the most developed in the marketplace. There are others that are doing this. The credit side of it is is really quite undeveloped, and then f- fund financing is just a need for financing in a variety of different formats at the at the fund level. All of these transactions can be GP led or LP led, and so uh, we think with the with the benefit of a partner. Uh, in Adia, who's come in to seed the business uh we think this is uh, has a really significant potential so our plan is to is to take a four billion dollar fund day one split between credit and equity uh to create a track record uh seed seed a seed a track record and then use that to grow uh, to grow a business from there
0: great um I right, switch gears now back to origination so can you maybe talk about the pace of M&A with your origination platforms? You know, how many currently do you have? How many do you need or want? How do you think about you know, scaling that up?
1: Yeah, so origination platforms. This is a really interesting ecosystem. You know, being able to control the production of interesting product that creates uh, differentiated returns is one of the, the key successes that that, um, that Athena has had a, a higher ROE than its peers had over the last decade, and so. The construct here is is to create a number of um, we call them platforms. They're just they're either consumer or commercial focused uh, origination platforms focused on trade finance, equipment finance, trans- transportation finance, um, and focused on prime borrowers. Um, and then use these these um, sort of self-fulfilling platforms to create more products and, and to grow over time. Um, The the production from that, as I mentioned earlier, goes either to Athene uh, or to third-party accounts or it's indicated to the market. Um, Today we have about 12 platforms, and we uh, we are originating around $25 billion of of production each year from those 12 platforms. There's a wide dispersion around scale. Mm -hmm. We have a couple that are, I think, fully scaled or close to which is a middle market lending platform and a, um, a fleet leasing business in, in Donlon, Wheels Donlon. Um, and then we have others that are, that are much smaller and have a lot of potential. So, you know, those other platforms will grow with capital from AAA for the most part. Uh, they'll be added to and bolted on and create, uh, create more scalable platforms. What we don't want to do is create, excuse me, 50 different platforms. We want, you know, 10 to 15 scale platforms over time. Uh, we're in most of the asset classes that I think we need to be in and so the focus from here is To grow them to create you know, really capable management teams that can grow scale platforms and have them ideally oversee multiple platforms and create this sort of self-sustaining ecosystem of differentiated production of illiquid credit that's high quality and creates um, outsized returns to investors including the thing
0: great yeah. um, maybe regarding the capital solutions the capital solutions business Seems like here you're, you're running pretty nicely ahead of the longer-term target of, I think it's $500 million in fees by 2026. You know, what's going well here? And at the same time, what are the kind of risks we should think about, you know, given the market market
1: volatility we're seeing over the next, say, 12 months? Yeah, so this is another one of the, the what we called the big three bets back a year ago, which is doing um, doing better than we planned at the time. We um, we said a year ago, $250 million a year of, uh, of revenues becomes 500. Over five years, uh, we actually did 300 last year. We're run rating at about 350 this year. Um, so it's well, you know, it's well on track to meeting or exceeding the target we set out. Um, it's another really interesting business. Uh, it's been um, it's been seeded in part by one of our strategic investors, uh, Mubadala, and the construct is to create a both origination and syndication business that sources product. Uh, and then syndicates it to uh, to investors and so the sourcing comes from uh, Building teams around corporate coverage and that's leveraging the 3,000 borrower uh, relationships we have today in our credit business uh, and building a team to cover them as a as a uh, as a capital markets uh, business should uh, as well as uh, creating a sponsor coverage business, so today the the, the sources come from those two external sources We're now positioning ACS at the center of the firm, where each of our businesses can produce production that can can then be syndicated through this business. So think infrastructure, uh, energy transition, GPLP solutions, CS3 business, um, our hybrid value business. Each of those those businesses can produce interesting origination, which which the capital markets group can then syndicate. And then on the syndication side, we've also built out a team to cover uh, buyers of paper, and um, some of the production goes to Athene. some of the production goes to third-party buyers, um, you know, principally life insurance companies who want the same product that Athene has. And this is just another example of synergies from the merger uh, that we can do this today where we where we couldn't we couldn't previously. So it's a it's an interesting business. I think it's it's been helped by the environment we've been in credit constrained environment means we can step in um, we manage the risk really carefully we haven't had any losses it's uh, a clean book and so we have you know pretty uh, pretty meaningful ambitions for this business
0: great well you made some comments about insurance so let's Let's pivot over to Athene for a bit. Maybe at a at a high level, I think one of the things you guys have been talking about are the underappreciated benefits of Apollo owning Athene outright. Can you talk about that a little bit? You know, what's what's been different in the last, say, nine months now that you own the company outright, and how do you kind of expect those benefits to be reflected in the P and L?
1: Yeah, I, I think I speak for myself, but I, I think I probably speak for the rest of the senior management team i think we feel better today even more convinced today than we did a year ago about the benefit, the strategic benefits of the merger and the impact that that has on the business and i think it's coming across in multiple ways um, i think you know alignment between the companies is really critical and if we are you know as a group sort of owning the risk that goes onto a balance sheet then that's attractive to third parties who want the same risk profile, and so it's sort of eating your own cooking um, and so it's interesting just using the capital solutions business as an example, historic competitors of athene want the same type of business that athene's putting onto its books, and so uh, the merger really you know with full alignment allows us to to do that um. From an earnings perspective, athene makes a lot of money. It's growing rapidly it's having a phenomenally successful year and it, and it creates a lot of earnings uh, which are which are i think undervalued but over time uh, hopefully will get a, a higher value um, and then there's cooperation both um, operationally and financially between the asset manager and the retirement services business so annuity wrapped product is an example of you need the product from the asset manager you need the the sort of structuring and tax and distribution capability from the retirement services company um, AAA is another example AAA is a effectively subsidiary of a theme in terms of an investment portfolio uh, which leverages the whole system and brings capital in from third-party investors to allow it to grow so um, you know we are focused on on ratings migration up um, maturing out we've focused on um making sure that our teams are really coordinated across most of what we do but you know it's a triple a is i think a, probably the best example of a of a of a business across the two companies that allows f r e growth s r e growth that allows us to see new businesses with with capital day one um and um and And it just allows a different level of product development than we than we previously had, so we feel great athene's business is is really firing on all cylinders um and um you know the thesis for the combined earnings of the the merger and the combined earnings uh, of the group is is really strong great
0: um you know you mentioned the business firing on all cylinders. I think so far this year your flows into athene have been kind of well ahead of the you know the if you were to just kind of double them for the year, it's kind of well ahead of the expected um, you know, target for the year. So I guess the first question is, you know, get, with that guidance still standing, do you expect a slowdown in the back half, or is there just more caution there? And then could you perhaps talk about, you know, the four kind of uh, flow buckets, you know, um, retail flows, uh, flow reinsurance, pension risk, and, and the uh, funding back notes?
1: Yeah, sure. We we just – we haven't updated our guidance. <laughs> so Fair no, enough. We, we don't expect a slowdown. Um, we um, – I think two years ago, we, Athene, produced $24 million of, 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 of organic production that year. Uh, we've done that through the first six months of this year. So, you know, that's sort of the, the growth rate we're seeing. Last year was a high, um, a significant high, and we had $37 million. So we're on track for, you know, meaningful outperformance. There's four channels of, of organic growth that seen Uh Three of them are doing really well in this environment. And one is a headwind in this environment, and that's the funding agreement backnote program and so you know higher higher rates and wider spreads are not conducive to to sort of good returns uh in uh, in that channel, but retail origination, retail production of annuities, reinsurance uh transactions, and pension risk transfers are uh, are all meaningfully ahead of where they were last year, so you know the, the business has a lot of momentum built up. Uh, and and it just it goes back to the first question you asked Ben, Which is like higher rates are good for the business net net and we're seeing it um, You know, you know certainly in in a growth can,
0: can you kind of add some color to that in terms of sre so I think in the past you guys have given some guidance on the impact of uh, Higher rates into sre, um, you know, how should we kind of think through that in terms of you know You've got higher asset yields. You've also got a higher cost of funding. How do we kind of balance those puts and takes
1: Yeah, so we're certainly seeing um Higher rates reflected in higher cost of funds. We're passing through higher rates into into the annuity contracts, um, but we're also earning more on the asset side. So net net, it's a it's a it's a plus. Um, we are we have a notion where we normalize the what's now in the AAA portfolio, the, the alternatives portfolio, for to an 11% constant return over time. And that's, uh, coincidentally, what that portfolio has produced this year, year-to-date, annualized. Uh, but if you normalize the um, the alts return, given the sharp ratio that it has, uh, we had said uh, Athene should produce SRE of $3.25 for the year. Uh, we see that now getting closer to $4. Uh, the best way to express it is actually in spread. Um, and so net spread normalized... Was 115 basis points in Q2 we see that around 120 basis points in Q3 and north of, t- of 130 basis points in Q4. Um, Q3 reflects some cost pressure as the platform uh, builds itself out uh, but as the as I said up front the asset side is sensitive to higher rates and that's just pulling through in, in the numbers and so you know we We'll see what you know what happens after today and today's sort of rate market action, but you know we'd expect to see that continue into next year uh, as higher rates take a quarter or two to fully reflect themselves in the numbers
0: great uh maybe one last uh question on Athene specifically um I think on the last earnings call, you called out a ratings upgrade or i'm sorry a new rating for Moody's for the first time. Um, can you maybe talk about like the 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 benefits of a the recent rating upgrade and um, you know are you satisfied with where you are or are you kind of looking to continue to improve and if so what are the what are the benefits of that
1: yeah so we, we have two credit boxes within the structure we have Athene, theme uh, which has a whole co and an opco rating in one credit box and then we have the asset manager and the holding company which is in a separate credit box and so neither um, neither side was rated by Moody's uh, up until now in fact um, this we are as an asset manager the first asset manager to be rated by Moody's um, after this review process we went through. So um, we were rated uh, on the Athene side by Moody's A+. That's consistent with other ratings from uh, from Fitch and an A rating from S&P. And I think we're pleased with that rating. I think it reflects the maturity of the business um, and the operational sort of uh, control structure around it and risk management practices and so on. So I, why is it important? Um, Moody's is probably the most important rating agency from an institutional fixed income buyer, and so as Athene, uh built out its debt uh, debt structure, having a Moody's rating is is important and should over time uh, help with the spreads on on its debt. Um, and also over time, the higher rated you are, the the greater access you have to different distribution channels to distribute annuity products, and so. You you know that's helped certainly up until now, and you can see that coming through in the volumes that Athena's producing. Uh, But you know, a further notch up would would access uh, would open access to different channels further still, and would increase production uh, still.
0: Great. Maybe uh, sticking on the insurance side, can you talk a little bit about Athora? I think there's a big capital raise expected in the back half of the year. Is there any, you know, any color you can kind of provide there? And maybe at a at a higher level, what are your thoughts on, like, a potential future state where, you know, like with Athene, perhaps one day it makes more sense to own a Thora outright?
1: Yeah, so a Thora is – think of it as Athene's cousin in Europe. It is actually um, – it's very similar to what Athene looked like um, five, seven years ago. Um, it's a private company. It's funded by LPs. It's part-funded by Athene uh it's more of a runoff business than Athene is it, it tends to buy blocks of business and manage them. uh and the model is similar uh base fee for for to the asset manager for managing the assets uh and then further fees sub advice fees for putting uh components of their balance sheet into Apollo originated product so um authority did a capital raise um 4 or 5 years ago that capital has been expended on growth to date and uh, Thora recently announced a 19 billion dollar 19 billion euro transaction with uh, AXA Germany which will cause uh, probably towards the back end of next year so it needs more capital for that transaction it needs more capital for other growth opportunities we see um, and so we're in the market to raise capital and you know I, I don't see any constraint on the amount of capital that we raise relative to the growth that we see in front of it um, What happens to a thora from here? We'll we'll see it's private. It's maturing. It's building out operationally Um, You know that we're we're not in a rush to sort of make a decision on what happens to to a
0: Fair enough Um, Maybe just kind of moving to capital allocation in general. What what are your kind of most recent thoughts on capital priorities? How do you think about you know buying back shares versus kind of investing in growth versus M&A? What are your they kind of balance all those factors?
1: Yeah. so you know, we we on one hand we'd love to be buying back more stock at these prices. We think we think we're cheap. Um you have to have the capital to buy back stock, uh to to be to be able to do it. So um we are a light balance sheet up top and what we've said is that over five years we'll have fifteen billion dollars of uh of, of sort of capital investing or return capacity, um, funded both by the asset managers' earnings and Athene dividending up uh, seven hundred and fifty million dollars a year. So we've indicated that's three chunks of five billion, five to five to pay the fixed dividend, um, five billion for investment in the platform for mostly FRE growth, and then another five for uh decisions to come. Buybacks, further growth to be decided in the future. So um, you know, today the the one of the binding constraints is the rating. So we have to maintain a certain amount of cash to to maintain the, the the ratings glide path that we're on which is lower leverage um, and so we're being cautious about what we do we've invested selectively uh, out of the holding company this year including in some of the investments that I mentioned case and ICAP. cap uh, we bought back some stock in the in the second quarter about 250 million dollars worth um, and then it's you know it's a precious resource so where you have the capital allocation parameters that you probably expect us to have um, and will direct the capital as it's earned over time to, to the most accretive uses.
0: So you, met, you mentioned you think the stock is cheap, and you know we're inclined that way too. We have an overweight rating on Apollo. Um, you know, given the strong outlook, the, the solid execution this year, you know, with the stock trading kind of a discount to peers, what do you think the street is missing? Why, why is now a good time for investors to buy Apollo stock?
1: So um, I'm sure every CFO says this. Um, <laughs> So to frame it, we are we're trading a bit under uh, nine times next year's earnings across the platform. We're growing at mid-teens or better, um, and all of the all of the growth options that we laid out a year ago, uh, we feel we're doing uh, ahead of plan, at least at least with plan, if not better. And then there's all these emerging initiatives that um, some of which I've spoken about. So the business is in great shape. Um, on the other hand we're we're two quarters into a merger. Um, we're a complicated company and we need to we need time to prove out the the model. We need to create FRE earnings growth, uh, which is the plan for for next year going through the back part of this year into next year. we need to prove out the stability of, of spread related earnings from a theme which I think this market is helping with um, and then we need to spend a lot of time Um, understanding concerns about the stock and just making sure we're spending time uh, as a senior management team this includes Mark Jim Scott Jim Bellati uh, with investors and prospective investors telling our story so we're not stressed about it Um, it's just it's just going to take some time Um, and we're trying to cultivate shareholders that we think are good long-term owners spend time with them and and, and make sure they understand our story I, I do think we're doing something unique Uh, where there's a lot going on it's an exciting place Um, revenue is not a a, a binding constraint at at all in our business Um, it's how we organize ourselves operationally to make sure that we can uh, manage that growth in a way which is um, which is financially sensible so that's where we're spending a lot of time right now we're we're, we're confident that we'll we'll, we'll pull this off um, and the results will speak for themselves but you know we're also A lot of the questions we get um, in our travels are on a the shareholder base and the analyst community generally speaking comes from an asset manager legacy versus a retirement services legacy and so there's a there's an education and an understanding about what a is and what it's not and we've tried to be responsive to concerns we've heard about what a might be and we recently had a, 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 a teach-in day, of investor day, for, for that business, which focused on specifically the, the areas of concern that we, we'd heard about: concentrated exposure to structured um, asset-backed securities, including CLOs and other asset backs, and then surrender risk on the liability side, and what happens in a rate backup. And so, the materials are on the website. We got we got good feedback on that. Uh, but it's a story you need to, to, to probably hear a couple of times to really you know, understand it and agree with it. So it's time. It's time and effort and you know, telling the story and proving ourselves.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. Um, maybe we've just got a couple of minutes left. One last thing I wanted to ask about that I think is particularly interesting is the FinTech strategy. It's not something that's really talked about by a lot of your peers. Um, can you maybe talk a little bit about the fintech investments you've made? What do you see as Apollo's role? And you know, what do you think about a future state where more assets and are, are kind of placed on blockchains and, and you know, sort of the impact of emerging technologies you know, broadly on the business longer term?
1: Yeah, this, this is definitely a pivot for us in the last 12 or 18 months, and I'd I say it's partly offensive and partly defensive. There's no doubt that uh, fintech is. Is disrupting all parts of the financial services ecosystem and so we you know we have to play a role in that we have to be smart about it both offensively and defensively so you know we're trying to do a couple of different things one is enable the development of fintech applications and so we're a big credit shop blockchain is relevant to the credit um, to the credit marketplace Um, we've partnered with figure to, to develop blockchain technology for the securitization business and so we're like a test case for the use of blockchain in uh, in securitizations Um, we are partners with others where we collaborate and we share ideas and develop uh, technologies Um, and we're an investor and so we've invested in motive which has been a great investment so far both in terms of like financial Um, returns as well as capabilities Um, and then um, we've made investments in in technology-enabled distribution platforms in our retail business case is one ICAP is another there's a couple of others that that we're working on so you know there's there's other applications we think over time uh, but part of this is just to make sure we're smart about where the markets going it's hard to translate this into hard revenue growth it's a big marketplace. You know, fintech revenues are projected to be, you know, a large amount of money, um, and maybe we get some of that along the way. But, but you know, we, we both protect the business and sort of be on the front foot and, and smarter about um, where the business is going. Great. So, well, we're yeah. just
0: about out of time. But um, let me just say again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really enjoyed Good. the conversation. Good. Appreciate thank you
1: being here. Thanks for having oh. us. Thanks, yeah. Ben. Thank you.